we've been looking at the book of Colossians, and Paul has been writing to this church to try and encourage them. And what has happened is that Epaphras, this young guy, has uh, planted the church uh, in Colossia. It's probably his hometown. And he was with Paul in Ephesus for three years. And if you remember the map we looked at, to the west of modern-day Turkey is Ephesus. To the east is Colossia and a town called Laodicea. And in the middle of that is the Lysias Valley where these, these uh, towns were. And so Paul is writing back to the church because guys have come into the church and undermined what Epaphras has said. And these guys have been uh, intellectuals, they've been um, philosophers, and this kind of thing that they were teaching in the um, church in Colossians has become known as the Colossian heresy. And we're not quite sure what it is, but it involved Greek philosophy, it involved some Jewish tradition, and basically what these guys were teaching was Paul and Epaphras have preached the gospel to you, and that's good, but they haven't quite given you the whole story. And what you need to do in order to complete the work of Jesus in your life is that you need to add a little bit of philosophy to what you believe about Jesus. You need to add a little bit of tradition to what you believe about Jesus, and that will complete the work of Jesus in your life. And so Paul obviously writes back, and he, he opposes these guys, and we've come to chapter 2 where he starts to address logically the things that they have said need to be put in place in order to complete the work of Jesus. And so uh, I mentioned some of these things last week. I just want to briefly recap last week and then we're going to look at our portion out of chapter 2. Remember, he, he, he challenged them directly about their view of angels. That's what I said to you last week. They had this view that the deity was the supreme being, and then there was a layer of angels that led to the deity of the supreme being, all right? And basically they said how you ascended up this kind of spiritual path was to fast and to pray and to observe certain holy days and to give yourself into tradition, and that helped you to ascend this kind of spirituality. And then they also said that you, to kind of initiate yourself into this, you needed to be circumcised. You, you must have some kind of Jewish tradition in your life as well. And Paul writes back to them and he says, absolutely no. Nothing is needed except Christ. And he, he, he kind of, in a very practical way, he says you don't have to practice ascetism. Fasting is okay, it's good, we need to fast at certain times, but you gain nothing extra from fasting. It doesn't make you more holy to fast. Jesus already made you holy. In Christ, you've been baptized, placed into Jesus, by the power of what he did on the cross, and that is enough. So Paul says, all the benefits of being circumcised, all the blessings of circumcision that were available in the old covenant, you already have all of those blessings because you've been baptized, you've been placed into Jesus. And so you don't need to be circumcised. You are ready. Christ is your circumcision. This is the kind of language that, that he's using. And so he says these are amazing things like, in Him we move and have our being. All that is needed is completed in the cross of Christ, and we can relax. He goes on to, to say, and we looked at this last week, you don't have to fear any demonic power. What were these guys saying? In order to uh, make sure nothing happened in your life that was evil, you needed to appease the gods, and you needed to appease this one and appease that one, so you offer sacrifices to make sure everything's okay, that you're not making the gods angry. Paul says, it is enough. Jesus is enough. You don't need any of that stuff. Why? He has paid what, 
the, the complete sacrifice, all that is needed, and in Him you have authority. When you are saved, there's no demonic power that has influence in your life anymore. Saying a radical thing. And now Paul begins to address uh, the next thing, and we're going to look at this portion in Colossians 2 verse 16, and he says this, Let no one, verse 16 of chapter 2, Therefore let no one, let no one, no one pass judgment on you. That's a powerful thing. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to some festival or new moon or Sabbath. This beautiful verse. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus. Don't let anyone, don't let anyone, don't let anyone disqualify you insisting on ascetism. What does that mean? It means fasting and praying and trying to do holy things to please God. Let no one pass judgment on you when you don't do those things, says Paul. Or about worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions. Super spiritual puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and it grows with the growth that is from God. If you, with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit it to its regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. These things refer to things that have all perished according to human precepts and teaching. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. <laughs> I want to try and, you know, Paul, I, whenever I read Paul, it's very difficult because his language is extremely strong. And when, when I want to preach, I, I want to preach kindly. I don't, want to, I, I don't want you to feel that God is angry with you or that I'm angry with you. God's lavish grace is upon our lives, isn't it? But here the language is so strong. And I, I, I was trying to think of a a, message, a title of my message, and I came up with this useless, legalistic re 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 religiosity. Paul is saying that religion is useless. It has no value in your life. And I want to encourage you, whatever tradition you're from, that loving God and religion are not the same thing. And Paul is saying it quite clearly here to these dear friends of his in Colossia. He's trying to set them free. He's trying to say to you, you can love God in it with all of your heart without being religious, without giving into religion, without letting people put stuff on you. You are free in Christ. And this is, I've got five things that I believe Paul would want us to understand from this portion. Number one, refute petty legalism. This is my encouragement to you in your own life. Refute petty legalism. Don't let anyone, including me, put any legalistic religiosity on you. No one. Hold on to the fullness of the freedom that you have 
in the living Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is saying. Let Jesus be your guide. Let Jesus be your power. Let Jesus, remember we talked about Jesus as the headquarters. Let Jesus be your all in all. Let Him be the headquarters of your life. Let Him be the power of your life. Let Him be the spirit of your life. Let no one put anything on you other than loving Jesus. And you will find that Jesus is very kind. He's gracious. He's patient. He loves you. You'll find that's the kind of Jesus that He is. He's not legalistic. He doesn't bash you with do this and pray this and don't do that and observe this holy day and worship this saint. He doesn't do any of that stuff. You are free in Him because of the amazing grace of God in your life. Enjoy your freedom. This is what I believe Paul would say to you. Refute legalism. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in terms of what you eat and you drink, says Paul. Or with regard to festivals. Remember the Old Testament was full of festivals. The Jews observed festivals for everything. Paul says, don't let people judge you when you don't observe those things. You are free in Christ. Secondly, I believe Paul would say that the Mosaic law is largely been fulfilled. It's fulfilled its purpose. We've seen that these Colossians, these philosophers, were trying to get these guys to buy into the idea that they needed to observe something of the Mosaic law. And so that's why Paul mentions these holy days and these food laws. And then these beautiful words, which I've mentioned already, these are but a shadow, a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Jesus. What is Paul saying? He said, this is one of the most unforgettable statements for me in the whole of the New Testament. It shows so clearly what was at stake for Paul, what he was trying to get this church to understand and what we need to understand as Christians today. I've said this before, but there were 2,000 regulations in the law. And much of it is symbolic. There were animal sacrifices. There were food laws. There were rules and regulations about your clothes, about the tabernacle, about farming, about all sorts of things. And all of these things are mainly symbolic, says Paul, and they are a shadow. They are pointing forward to the future in terms of what is going to happen in history. There's a shadow land. Do you remember C.S. Lewis used that phrase? Shadow land. We see things in shadow, but the reality is still to come. And Paul is saying the Old Testament is the shadow land, but the real, the substance is found completely in Jesus. Are you with me? So he's saying all of those things were useful for Israel, but they're no longer of any use to you. Why? Because the full substance is in Christ. So therefore, let no one judge you on what you eat or drink or get you to observe worship of angels or worship of saints or worship of special festivals. You are free in Christ. He is all that you need. Those things have no value in themselves. They are shadows of what is real. And the real is Jesus. So, all the treasure of what we need spiritually is foreshadowed in the Old Testament, but it has its fullness in the living Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second thing I believe Paul would want us to understand. Third, I would believe Paul would want to say, let no religious leader, I'm speaking about me, let no religious leader impose legalistic demands upon those that follow Christ. No one. Not any church leader 
has the right to impose legalistic demands on those that follow Christ. I believe absolutely in loyalty. I believe absolutely in honor. I believe absolutely it is right and proper that everyone that preaches the Word of God is honored by other people. I believe that with all of my heart. I try to live that out. But in all of that, of honoring people and honoring the gospel, let none of us become so loyal that we become slaves to uh, submitting to some kind of spiritual hierarchy which becomes a tyranny in our lives. That's what I believe Paul is saying. Are you with me? So church leaders, people like me or preachers or any kind of church leader, are not priests that stand between us and God. You have direct access to Jesus, to God through Jesus Christ, yourself. No church leader stands between you and God. You have free access by the blood of Christ to the fullness of all of who God is. Church leaders do not have the, the right to pray for you in a way that implies that you cannot pray for yourself. It's good that people with anointing pray for us, but all of us have the right to direct access through prayer to the living Lord Jesus Christ. All of us. The covering that you need in your life is Jesus. And so I say this kindly, as best as I can, no one has the right to make you feel threatened in any way if you choose not to submit to a denomination or tradition. If you choose not to do that, no one has the right to impose that on you and make you feel bad. Like somehow you're less Christian if you're not part of some institution or denomination. No, the only covering you need in your life is Jesus Christ. Do I believe in, in, in working together with churches? Absolutely. Do I believe in godly order? Yes, absolutely. But never that is imposed and gets people underneath a system that is not godly. That's what I believe Paul would say. The best way to get churches to grow is to preach the gospel faithfully. And people will come. And people will be saved. And people will be transformed. That's the best way to grow the church, isn't it? Faithful preaching of the gospel. Paul's also saying in this portion that if something goes wrong when you place too much emphasis on dreams and visions and weird experiences and they begin to overshadow the Bible. Let me remind you again of what Paul is saying. He says that no one pass judgment on you, that no one condemn you about what you eat, what you drink, do this, don't that, do, do that. And then he says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, that's fasting and prayer and those kind of things, and worship of angels. And some translations include the phrase, taking delight in false humility. So there's something about what these guys was, were teaching was that actually you need to fast and have this discipline and asceticism in your life. And they were encouraging this kind of extreme submission for their followers. And Paul's saying it's, it's all like a religious pretense. You don't need it. And so I believe a lot of us can, we need to remind ourselves, we need to think for ourselves. Is not buy into a system that is not godly. And I believe if you fully understand the gospel, it's the most humbling thing that you would ever experience in your life when you really understand the gospel. You don't, you don't need to beat your body to be humble. You just need to look at Jesus and see who he is and see how magnificent he is and everything else in your life finds its proper order. That's what Paul is saying. Those three things. Those three things. Refute petty legalism. 
Second, the Mosaic law has been largely fulfilled. No Christian leader has any right to impose legalism on those that follow Jesus. And fourthly, Paul goes on to warn not to seek out unusual experiences. I believe all of us must seek fellowship with Jesus constantly. But I've found in the church over many years that there are many who are more interested in dreams and visions and experiences and feelings than there are in fellowship with Jesus. <laughs> and what these teachers were saying, these Colossian teachers were saying, is that ordinary Christians, you know, the ordinary Christians, they don't have this amazing revelation that we have. They don't have these dreams and these spiritual experiences that we have. And if you really are a real Christian, you'll be having all these amazing dreams and visions and experiences. And Paul says, absolutely not. He says, everyone who believes in Christ by faith is made right with Him. That's all you need. Dreams and visions and experiences are good. We must enjoy them. But you don't base your life on dreams, visions, and experiences. You base your life on faith in Jesus. That is what Paul is saying. And so, I found that there can be some people that build a, a doctrine around their spiritual experiences. And that, I don't know if you know this, but in Job, there's a story in Job 4. You can read it for yourself. This guy has a vision, and, he's, and he kind of goes up to heaven, and he ascends with heaven, and he worships the angels, and he kind of builds a whole theology around his vision. There's a second century document, you might, you might not know of it. It's called The Ascension of Isaiah. And in this book, uh, that's uh, one of the books that's, documents that's been discovered, we have the idea of this guy who falls into a trance, and then he ascends to heaven in the spirit, and he joins the angels in worship, and he sees all these visions. The problem is he builds his whole theology around his experience. And Paul is saying, no, that's not what we do. I read recently in a National Geographic magazine, there are people going to South America in order to experience God by taking hallucinatory drugs that the ancient Aztec Indians take. And so they take these drugs and say, well, you can experience God when you take these drugs. They're looking for a spiritual experience. Paul says that's not what you look for. You look for the reality, the substance of Jesus in your life, and He is all you need. That's what Paul says. And he, he also says, he says here that those kind of people that are always fascinated with this kind of sense of religious experience, he says, actually, they're suffering from pride. That's what he says directly. He says they go on in detail about visions. They are puffed up without reason in their sensuous mind. Paul is saying to them, you think you're being so spiritual? You're actually just showing how prideful you are. You think you are better than everyone else. You think that other Christians, are, you, you're kind of superior to them. So there's this kind of arrogance that comes in. People think they're superior. You know, the ordinary Christians, they don't, have this stuff, they don't have these things. They felt that they were superior to others. Paul says no. He says you just, when you act like that, you're not really even being religious. I mean, being spiritual. You're just being arrogant and prideful and showing that you don't yet know Jesus. And so I value people's experiences. But you can't build your theology on heaven or hell or the afterlife through some person on the internet sharing that they died and went to heaven. Don't build your theology on that. Build your theology on what Christ says in the Word. His Word is enough. He is enough. Are you with me? And so Paul is saying, if we are like that, our minds are not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we are puffed up and sensuous, which is really sinful nature speaking. He says, don't be, don't be like that. Don't be duped. Just love Jesus. 
If you have spiritual experiences, they're wonderful. Enjoy them. But don't build your life around them. Don't build your theology on them. Build around Christ. Build on His Word. He's all you need. Fifth. Paul says that if we like that, we're not really staying close to the Lord Jesus. We're kind of wandering off on a tangent. He says, why does I say that? He says, he says it plainly. They are not holding fast to the head. They are not holding fast to Jesus. From whom the whole body, all of us, every single one of us who loves whatever your denomination, your background, if you love Christ, you're all part of the body, all part of this amazing world by body. And he says this whole body is held together and nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments, and it grows with the growth that is from God. When you're keeping yourself in the head, says Paul. If you get disconnected and go off on your own tangent, you're disconnecting yourself from the source, from the head. And so power in your life doesn't come from unusual charismatic religious experiences, as valuable as they can be. Your power in your life does not come from that, says Paul. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, who leads His church, who strengthens His church, who holds the whole thing together, who has put ligaments in place and muscles in place, this wonderful, wondrous body that is worldwide, that is across time, is held together by Jesus. Every ligament, every bone that is needed put in place. And I believe those joints and ligaments are the gifts of Ephesians 4.11. You know those gifts? There are some that are evangelists, some that are prophets, some that are apostles, some that are teachers. And what do those gifts do? They are the joints and the ligaments, and they make the body strong across time. I'm so grateful for people that wrote down things in church history. You know why? Because we don't need to make the same mistakes. They are the muscles and the bones and the ligaments from history that speak into our lives and say, don't make the same mistakes as we did. That's why I encourage you to read. That's why I encourage you for yourself to find out that we don't carry on repeating the same mistakes. There are ligaments in place. There are gifts in place that God has given the church to make His church strong and so that we can hold together in the head who is Christ. Amen? Okay, I'm not angry. So. And lastly, Paul says, don't lose contact with what happened at your conversion. Verse 20, if you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, if you are still alive, in the, would you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. These things have all perished, and they're all according to human precepts and teachings. These have an appearance of wisdom that promotes self-made religion and asceticism and severity in the body, but they have no value to you, says Paul. And I want to say something that you might find quite radical. I want to say to you this morning, I think what Paul is saying is that religious behavior belongs to the old man that has been crucified with Christ. And you are a new person in Jesus and there's no room for religious behavior in the new person that is in Christ. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying religion. He's saying all that stuff that you do to try and please God. That has been nailed to the cross when Jesus died. All your religious behavior. All your desire to do the right thing. All your attempts at fasting to please God. And all that stuff. Paul says it's nailed to the cross. In Jesus, it belongs to the old man. It is dead. It is gone. You are alive in Christ. You are a new creature. You are a new creation. And all you do is walk by the Spirit and love God with all of your heart. And that is enough. It pleases Him completely. You can say amen. It's blooming good news. Because if it wasn't, you and I are in trouble. 
Paul says that all belongs to the old. And the old is gone and the new is come. Don't let anyone put religion on you. Don't let anyone insist that you need to do stuff to please God. Jesus has done enough. He's done everything that pleases God completely. And all that you do is put your trust in Him. And as you live for Him, you please Him absolutely. This is good news. You have become a new person. You are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been baptized, placed into Him. What more do you need to live a godly life? Don't let anyone put anything on you. So, I want to put it to you kindly, as kindly as I can. You start to embrace that stuff in your life, you're going backwards, you're not going forwards. You're bringing yourself into bondage, not into freedom. And Christ says, I have come that you might be free. Free indeed. My longing is that this church would know freedom, all of us, that you would know freedom in your life that comes from the power of the Spirit within you. And you would find that God is kind and gentle, that Jesus is a good Father. That you would live with joy. And this is all possible because of what Christ has done for us. Paul says, don't go back, go forward. Remember what happened when you were saved. Don't let anyone, including me, put anything on you. You are free in Christ. Honor, honor gospel, the gospel, honor good preachers, honor all those things, honor the church. It's all good. But don't let religion be put on you. You are free in the living Lord Jesus because of what he's done. Amen.